From the After 9 Podcast Studios, this, this is After 9 with Scott and Kat. Hey now. Hi. I know we just talked a little earlier. We're going to do a solo Scott bonus episode of After 9. Hi, friends. Uh, Kat has already left for the day, and usually the way our day works is that after we record the podcast, I do a little polishing up on it, and then I upload it, and then I'm on my way, usually a few minutes after she gets out the door. But today I thought to myself, you know what? We did that week of Solo Scott earlier this week, and we got a lot of great feedback on that. Thank you. And I know these episodes aren't for everybody because I tend to talk a lot about politics when I do a Solo Scott episode. And, And I do recognize all the people that said, hey, wouldn't mind hearing a little bit more of that. It's the end of the month. I've got a little extra time, nowhere that I have to be. So let's do a quick Solo Scott episode. One thing I do want to point out is at, uh, please go back and listen to today's regular episode. November 29th, we talked for about 45 minutes about Corey Perry and a lot more. OnlyFans was in there and lots. So today's pod is still there. This is a rare bonus edition of After Nine. And again, it's a Solo Scott I do want to talk a little bit about politics here because politics is something that is top of mind for a lot of people and because it's having a direct impact on so many people, politics is getting in the way of people living their lives. I was driving home yesterday and I went back and listened to the episode from Tuesday, I believe it was, where we played a little bit of the finance minister, Christian Freeland, speaking on, I believe it was Power Play, CTV with Vashi Capellos. Vashi's great, by the way. I like her a lot. Uh, She had the finance minister and deputy prime minister on, and she asked Christian Freeland about financial anchors. Basically, what she was trying to get to is, you've spent a record amount of money as a government, Christian Freeland. You guys have put us, uh, you've doubled our national debt and then some. Uh, By 2028, we will be paying the equivalent of the entire amount collected in a year from the GST just to interest. Next year, we'll be spending the same or more on interest on our debt than we spend on our national healthcare system, one of the most expensive healthcare systems in the world to operate, and we're spending almost as much, if not more, just on the interest on our debt. It's crazy. So after the fall fiscal update, the finance minister has to go out and promote it. So she went on CTV and she did this interview. We played it the other day in After 9. I want to take a deeper dive because something occurred to me as I was listening to the Deputy Prime Minister speak. Listen to this. Uh, We'll do about two, two and a half minutes. I asked it not necessarily as a hypothetical, but against the backdrop of what you did outline in the fall economic statement, which was two promises where a fiscal anchor is concerned. The first, that you would lower the debt-to-GDP ratio in 24-25 and keep it, quote, on a declining track thereafter. The second, that you would get the deficit-to-GDP ratio below, oh, sorry, uh, below 1% by 26-27 uh, and keep it there. Does that inherently limit you, though, from launching any kind of program similar to those? So I am actually really glad that you put those two questions together. By the way, for those who have not watched a lot of media opportunities with the Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister, Christian Freeland, she always does that. Thank you for putting those two questions together. In her head, she's trying to figure out what bullshit she's going to say. So she comes up with that, and it's a, a little platitude, makes the reporter feel good. She's buying herself time to come up with an answer that doesn't actually answer the question. Because from my perspective, we have a fiscally responsible economic plan because we need to have the capacity to invest in Canadians. We need to have the capacity to invest precisely in things like 
early learning and child care. And fiscal responsibility means that those investments are sustainable over the long term. So that's why our economic plan, it is really at its heart about investing in Canadians, investing to ensure that we have an economy that can deliver good jobs, people can count on, that supports them with things like early learning and childcare. And the way that we can continue to do that is by making sure that all of those plans and programs are contain are you know built on this fiscally responsible foundation. So you have the capacity, let's say, to sustain the programs that, that you have right now. My question is whether you will have the capacity going forward, now having outlined these fiscal anchors. And I'm asking you because what I have noticed in public opinion polling is that a lot of Canadians are saying, what's the, this government's vision for the future? And so if you're going to present big transformational projects that do come with a, a high price tag, I am wondering if this fall economic statement actually limits you from doing so, or maybe you're not so wedded to those two promises. Actually, I really believe our fall economic statement is about ensuring that we can continue to invest in Canadians. Because what I really believe makes things like early learning and childcare possible is that they are built on a sustainable fiscal foundation. Because that means we can keep on doing it year after year after year. And I really believe, Vashi, that the investments that we are making today and those are investments, you're quite right, that are ongoing based on things we launched in previous budgets. Those investments are going to deliver strong, sustainable economic growth that means we can continue to do more things for Canadians going forward. And I'm going to give you one more specific example, if I may. Um, and that is our economic plan about building the industrial economy of today and tomorrow. You saw, I know because you talked to me about this a couple days ago, um, that in the fall economic statement this week, we moved forward on our industrial transition measures, the tax credits, and those are real investments in Canada. They're going to create... I'm going to stop her right there because the thing that stood out to me most from listening to that is, number one, she did not answer the question. The question was very simple. You spent so much money. Can you continue to do it? Well, I mean, I guess in a way she kind of did. She said, well, the, the money that we've already allocated for like $10 a day childcare and all the other stuff. Yeah, we can probably keep doing that. But what she was asking, what Vashi was asking was, well, what about the other stuff? Because we know there's other stuff coming. The liberals are very, very, very married to the idea of a universal basic income. In other words, no matter how much or how little you make, there's always going to be a minimum threshold. And if you only make, I don't know, 15 grand in a year, if the universal basic income is 23,000, the government's just going to give you $8,000. They will make sure that everybody has a minimum threshold. Now, the cost on this is through the stratosphere. Absolutely epic. And, and, most people would say, no, you as a government don't have money to do that. You may want to do it, but you've squandered so much money in the past on various other pet projects and, and retreats for the cabinet and this, that, and the other thing, flying the prime minister and his team around everywhere, that you don't have the money for that. Will they do it anyway? Will they continue to print money? Will they continue to borrow money to make those things happen? That's what Vashi was asking at the core of the question. And the finance minister wouldn't answer it. The deputy prime minister, 
at a time where she's supposed to be talking about transparency. That's the whole point of the fall fiscal update. You come out and you talk about where our finances are right now, halfway through the budget cycle, and where we're going. She wouldn't answer the question. At a time when Canadians know that the reason they're going to lose their home or their car is going to get repossessed or their bank account is frozen because they owe the CRA money, uh, but at the time when the CRA is demanding money back from people that they say were overpaid Serb and this, that, and the other thing. People are upset that inflation and interest rates have gone as high as they have and almost all of it ties right back to the government and spending. Vashi wants to know, are you done spending? She wouldn't answer the question. It's contemptuous. I don't understand how someone who's charged with running our finances as a country will not come out and be transparent with us about how things stand, what the priorities are, what we're going to be doing going forward. Why will she not answer the question? I'll tell you why. It's a complete and total lack of respect for the taxpayers. This is an automatic for the liberals. Justin Trudeau is not worried about getting reelected. Christian Freeland is not worried about getting reelected. A lot of their colleagues are going to get thrown under the bus. They're going to wear what Trudeau has done. When we have an election, it's going to be a bloodbath for the liberals. They're going to lose so many seats High-profile names that that you see all the time on the TV and in the news. They're going to lose their seats. But the finance minister doesn't need to worry about it, and neither does Justin Trudeau. And even if they did, they have cushy jobs waiting for them at either the UN or with NATO or right at the, 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 the company that's running the whole thing right now over in Europe. They don't have to worry about that. They're going to have jobs. But you've got a job right now and you're being paid very, very well by the taxpayers and you won't answer a simple question about money. It's crazy. Now, the other thing the federal government is expected to have to spend huge money on is pharmacare. This is part of the coalition that the liberals have formed with the NDP so that the government can stay in power. As long as they don't lose a non-confidence vote, they're in power. They will govern until the next federal election, which is still a couple of years away. Well, the NDP has said, we are the party that, that is going to get stuff done in Ottawa. Because we hold the balance of power and we've made this deal with the liberals, we can get a whole bunch of new Democrat policies passed. And one of them happens to be Pharmacare. The other one was dental care for uh, low-income families. I don't know how many people that benefits, but I can't imagine that it's not benefiting someone. So good. I mean, everybody should have access to dental care. It should probably probably be even part of the healthcare system. Pharmacare is a little bit different, though. It is a little bit different, and the cost is going to be epic. The NDP has said this is a condition. The liberals have to get it done by the end of 2023. Well, now the liberals are even sticking their finger up at the NDP. They came out yesterday and said, yeah, it's probably not going to get done. Probably not going to be able to get this done. Sorry, we probably won't be able to do it. Does that mean it's not coming? Does that mean you're not going to print any more money? Does that mean you're going to live within your means as a government? Or that if you want to do pharmacare, something else needs to get cut? Because that's the way it works in every household on earth. There's only so much money coming in. We as a, a families don't have the ability to just print more money. We have to live within our means. And government has never understood that. Whether it's the municipal governments that continuously raise property taxes, it is sickening. 
sickening what the local governments are doing with constantly raising taxes. So out of touch when they should be the most connected level of government. Mayors, city councilors, no one should have a better understanding of how in, in unaffordable life is right now for the middle class. And these pricks just keep raising taxes. It's the easy way to do it. Nobody wants to be the one to say, hey, listen, we don't want to raise taxes. We know you can't afford us to raise your taxes, but we also can't sustain everything we're doing with the current revenue. So we're going to have to make cuts. Do you know how much respect I would have for a leader that came out and just told us the way it is? Yeah, we get that you like having... Uh, transit fully funded. We like that you get having libraries and community centers and pools and all the other shit that they spend money on. We get that you like that, but the reality is we can't sustain that with the current level of revenue. So you can either have all of this or you can have no tax increase. And if you want no tax increase, you don't get the other. Why will no one come out and just put it in plain and simple terms? I just had this conversation with my kids. They understand it. There's only so much money and we can't continue to raise money or print money. We just can't keep raising taxes and printing money. It doesn't work like that. We are broke and the government won't even commit to not spending any more money or telling us, yeah, fuck it. We're going to go for broke, like really, really broke. And we're going to, we're going to do the universal basic income. We're going to do pharmacare. We're going to do it all. If that's the plan, and I fully assume that is the plan, just say it. Say it. Why do you have to be so disrespectful of the taxpayers and Vashi herself there laughing in her face while not answering the question? It's absolutely crazy. The middle class is suffering so bad right now, and it's horrible what's happening. New numbers from Food Banks Ontario came out this week. A 38% increase year over year in the amount of people using food banks. A 38% increase. This is, uh, this is catastrophic. We have that many people in Ontario, Canada, G7 nation, one of the most advanced and well-off nations on earth, and a 38% increase in people going to food banks in one year? And the government doesn't care. They're laughing at us. They won't even answer questions about money. And money is at the heart of all of this. Let's talk about uh, the middle class. Let's talk about poverty. Let's bring in the guy who wants to come in and try and solve the problem and be the next prime minister, Pierre Polyev. The truth is the prime minister wants to quadruple the carbon tax, including on our farmers. I have a farmer in my riding who's spending $10,000 a month a month on carbon taxes alone. All of that is passed on to the consumer. The consequences have been a record number of Canadians relying on food banks. Seven million Canadians are going hungry. One in five are skipping meals regularly because they can't afford the price of food. Will the Prime Minister get out of the way, stop interfering with the Senate, and let them pass common sense conservative bill C-234 to take the tax off the farmers who feed us? Just because the leader of the Conservatives says something does not make it true, as we saw in several times last week, whether it was with regards to how they voted on the Canada-Ukraine free trade agreement, perhaps why she blamed others for his mistakes when it came to how he jumped to a conclusion for a terrorist attack. And now what he's talking about with C-234, he knows that is patently false. And when it comes to food prices, that's because of the war in Ukraine and because of inflation. Oh, get the fuck out of here. He cannot 
direct the Senate. These are these are not serious people. These are not serious people. That was Karina Gold. She's the MP from Burlington, the House leader, still spreading this lie that the war in Ukraine is the reason for all this. Get the hell out of here. That is just so patently false. It's not the war in Ukraine. By the way, what is going on with the war in Ukraine? I think we've all seen what's going on over in in Gaza. We've all seen what's happening between Israel and Hamas. We're watching real-time warfare. It's like watching Call of Duty on TV. You can see soldiers going street to street. You can see bombs hitting targets. You can see it all. In, what, three years of that war in Ukraine? I haven't seen anything close to that. So I do have some questions about what the hell is going on over there and why we're sending so much money over there, but that's for another day. Let's come back to Bill C-234. Yesterday, Pierre Polyev introduced it in the House. It is to order the Senate to pass the bill. Uh, Polyev wants MPs to order the Senate to pass the bill that would take the carbon tax off of the farmers. Why is this so hard to understand? I, I, don't, I, I don't get it. Why would there be any opposition to this except from the government itself? It's very simple. When you tax the farmer who grows the food, you're taxing the people who eat the food. And it's not a little tax. It's not like they, they chucked a buck onto every shipment that they make. It's on every ounce of fertilizer that they use. It's on the gas for the trucks that ship it to the grocery stores. It's on everything. It is making our lives so unaffordable, and the liberals refuse to hear it. They come up with nonsense like that, try and redeflect and, and, and try and place blame on everyone else but themselves. The problem we find ourselves in now, they will not accept any responsibility for it. Not one of them will stand up and say, yeah, we took a shit situation coming out of the pandemic and made it 10 times worse because we didn't understand how the economy works. Well, let's talk about that bill C-234. This is a bill to take the carbon tax off of farmers. It's already passed the House of Commons. It's already passed. They voted. It's done. Now it just needs to go to the Senate. But we know we've got a Senate problem in this country too because they're appointed by the Prime Minister of the day. So now all of the Justin Trudeau appointed senators are standing up and saying, no, we're not going to do it. We're not going to take the carbon tax off. Trudeau wants the carbon tax. This is just the way it's got to be. Well, maybe on a technicality though, it doesn't need to be that way and maybe it can't be that way. I uh, want to bring in the great member of parliament for Wellington Halton Hills. His name is Michael Chong. He is a wonderful man and an exceptionally smart person. He understands how the House of Commons works, and he brought up actually a very interesting point yesterday that I haven't heard enough debate on yet. Mr. Speaker, it doesn't matter what the government thinks about Bill C-234. It doesn't matter what the Senate thinks about the bill because taxation and spending are the exclusive right of this House, not the Senate. In our system, there is no taxation without representation. Section 53 of the Constitution says all financial legislation must originate in this House. Standing Order 80 says that this House alone grants aids and supplies. When will the Prime Minister direct his representative in the Senate to respect this democratic institution? the only democratic institution in this country, and pass the tax bill. Yeah. 
The Honourable Government House Leader. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I mean, the, the irony coming from the other side of the House is almost too thick to handle today when we hear uh, members' office talking about respecting democracy or exactly. democratic institutions. There's a pattern of behavior here. So the person that you can hear hooting and hollering in the background is actually the Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister, Christian Freeland. This is a person who, again, we just talked about this, has absolutely zero respect for the taxpayers, and she has zero respect for the Canadian people. None. There's no way that this can happen. We are taxing ourselves into oblivion, and our debt is still getting out of control. Something has got to change. You know, there's a petition circulating right now. It's a non-confidence motion in the Prime Minister, or on the Prime Minister and this government. I signed it. I, I, I don't sign petitions. I usually don't think they go anywhere, but this is a petition actually on the House of Commons website. 100,000 signatures now. This government spends millions on polling. They used to be really, really good at reading the room. They used to be really, really good at at figuring out what's important to Canadians and, and seizing the moment and getting them hooked in. Well, they're not as good at it anymore, and I don't think they're as good at reading polls as they used to be either, but they do spend enough money on polls for us to generally draw the conclusion that they believe in the polls. They do. They do polling because they think polling is accurate. Well, we're in a situation now where the polling says three-quarters of the country wants a change in government. Three-quarters of the country wants Justin Trudeau gone. Three-quarters. And this government won't call an election. That's non-confidence. By definition, it's non-confidence. Now, typically, non-confidence comes from the elected members of the House of Commons. They'll hold a vote. And if the government loses, that's non-confidence. Well, we've got a situation where the Liberals and the New Democrats have set up Parliament in a way now with their coalition that even if all the other parties did vote to say we don't have confidence, it wouldn't matter. They would stay in power. Well, this one's coming right from the people. How do they ignore that? The government knows people are done with them. They're playing politics. We should absolutely have an election right now. We need to get people help right now. And the government has doubled down, tripled down, quadrupled down on, nope, we're not doing anything, especially not for the middle class. We'll throw them a pittance that'll affect some people like the the free heat pumps or the the $10 a day childcare, if that even actually happens. They throw out shit like that and claim, oh, look at the wonderful work we're doing. They like to throw out this stat about the number of Canadians that they've lifted out of poverty. I think they say it's like 2 million Canadians. You put 10 million in poverty, you assholes. Why are you bragging about lifting 2 million people out of poverty? That's based on old numbers about where the poverty line is. Look at the current poverty line and then update your talking point. You haven't lifted anybody out of poverty except for maybe the people who developed the Arrive Can app and people who own stocks in pharmaceutical companies. That's what you've done. Bankers, you've made very rich. We've hired the biggest civil service we've ever had. There's bonuses getting paid out like crazy. We're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to send these politicians on retreats. How many people do we have over in the Middle East right now for this UN climate conference? I heard a stat, what was it? 400 private jets are flying to this climate conference? 400 of them. 
Do you know what the carbon footprint on that is? And they're going to an environmental conference. It's messed up. It's completely messed up. They're laughing at the middle class right now as they take all the money out of our savings and our credit lines and our credit cards. Sometimes they're even going to take the house itself or they're going to repo the car, shut down your bank account. As they're doing all that, they're laughing at us because they have no respect for any of us and they think we're too stupid to catch on. Hopefully, you're paying attention because the nonsense that's going on in Ottawa right now could and should end. I can't remember the last time three-quarters of the country agreed on anything. But three-quarters of the country agree it's time for these people in Ottawa to go because we just can't afford them anymore. We can't. It's, it's impossible. We, the regular people are losing their homes. It's, it's nuts. And this government is living the high life in Ottawa laughing at us. It's sick. It's really sick. This grassroots petition on the House of Commons website, go to ourcommons.com. Is it .com or .ca? Google it. Google the House of Commons. There's a petition you can sign. At some point, it's going to have so many signatures that the government can no longer longer not acknowledge it. But it's really about the NDP. The NDP knows. NDP members in safe NDP seats are hearing a lot about this deal with the liberals. And frankly, they've had enough too because they also have mortgages and car payments and lines of credit and kids in sports and so on and so forth. People that eat, everybody eats. They want the liberals gone too. How much longer are the NDP members going to ignore their own constituents? We expect this from the liberals. They don't care. But the NDP, they used to stand for something. They, they said they wanted to get this pharmacare thing done, but it's now it's not going to get done, not this year anyway. And they're okay with that. They're going to keep propping up Justin Trudeau, and they're doing it all because of politics. If they get just a little bit higher in the polls, I figure anywhere close to 30%. If they can get between 25 and 30%, I think then they're going to go for an election. Why? Because then there's virtually no chance that they won't be the official opposition. Jagmeet Singh wants to move into Stornoway. He wants that residence and the driver and all the shit that comes with it. It's all about politics, and nobody seems to care that there's people on this end. People like you, people like me, people that are suffering and struggling, and no one is doing anything for us. Now, I don't want to make this just about Trudeau because the, and the municipal government, too. Let's do something provincial. Had this yesterday. Ontario is going to take control of the Don Valley Parkway and the Gardner Expressway. They're going to fund 55 new subway trains. This is all part of a deal that lets the province move ahead with plans to redevelop Ontario Place. Basically, Premier Ford and Toronto Mayor Olivia Chow cut a deal. Toronto's going to get up to $1.2 billion over the next three years to be used for two light rail lines, more homeless shelters, and more uh, cops in the transit system. In exchange, the province is going to give the city some money and they're going to take over control of the Gardner and DVP. Seems like a no-brainer, right? But part of this deal is that Toronto's got to drop its opposition of redeveloping Ontario Place. No secret. I totally agree. We should move Ontario Place. Sorry, keep Ontario Place. We should move the Science Centre to Ontario Place. Let's make Ontario a beacon of science. What better place to put it than right on the waterfront where it's completely accessible by GO and by TTC and where people actually congregate? Good. Move the Science Centre there. Spa? 
I don't give a shit. There's a lot of places that I can go to get spa treatments. I'm probably never going to go to this one at Ontario Place because I have a feeling the rent is going to be high, and that means the fees are going to be high. But people who come into town are probably going to use it. They should probably put a casino there, too. Might as well, right? I mean, if we're going to make it an attraction, make it an attraction. Is it okay to skip all the environmental assessments on this? That's part of what they're allowed to do here. They can skip those. I don't know. It's right on our waterfront, just down the road from the Humber River. I don't know that this is necessarily the type of project where we can say, ah, fuck it, it's fine, just build. I don't know that we could or should do that, but either way, that's not going to be my point on this. I think it's a good deal. I think Toronto got what they wanted. I think the province got what it wanted. But yesterday, Doug Ford, seizing on an opportunity here where he's just uploaded this massive expense from Toronto, the the premier came out and he slapped a sign on the sign for the DVP and the gardener. No tolls. Toll free. Yeah, it should be toll free. Anyone in their right mind right now that's even considering charging tolls for anything is just batshit crazy. Read the room. People don't have any money. If you put tolls on the gardener or the DVP, that would be catastrophic. Do you know what that would do to traffic in Toronto? It's a no-brainer. No, we're not putting tolls on the gardener in the Don Valley Valley Parkway. That's insane. But since Doug brought up tolls, let's talk about tolls. He wants to do two highway projects as part of his legacy as premier. He wants the Bradford Bypass, and he wants the new 413. The Bradford Bypass, I think, is great. It is long overdue. There should be a way, a direct link to cottage country from the 404. Good. Build the Bradford Bypass. Once you get north of Newmarket, you just cut across, and you can join the 400. We're good. That makes sense. It'll, it'll be less cars on the road, less pollution heading into cottage country. Great, great. I'm sure there's a lot of other reasons. Fine. As long as they don't pave over any ecologically sensitive areas, that's got to go through the Holland Marsh, nearest I can tell. As far as I know, that's still part of the Green Belt. As long as they don't interfere with ecologically sensitive areas, fine. Go ahead and do it. We need it. Build it. The 413 is a completely other story. For those who don't know, the the province is hell-bent on building a highway that basically runs parallel to the 407. It's going to start in Milton, right where the 407 picks up there off the 401. And it's going to go up to the 400. And it's going to cut across a whole bunch of farmland in Halton Hills, in Erin. It's going to go through, where else is it going to go through? Caledon, Bolton, I believe. All those areas. It's going to do almost exactly what the 407 already does. Except this is going to be a construction nightmare We have to expropriate a whole bunch of properties and displace people. We're going to be paving over some farmland, probably some ecologically sensitive areas. I can't imagine they're going to reroute an entire highway around a creek that happens to have a specific breed of beaver living in it. I don't think we're going to do that. We're just going to pave right over it. All I want to know is why. I totally understand the need. There needs to be an easier way to get from the West End to the 400. Needs to be. No two ways about it. Anything that relieves some pressure off of the Toronto traffic, and I mean that stretch between the 427 and the DVP. It can take you over an hour on an average day to get that stretch. And it's not very far. It's just the volume is that bad. And it's crazy because we've got this, this beautifully 
built, modern-feeling, well-kept highway just a few kilometers north. But it's a toll road. People in America, you would probably be shocked at this. You would probably be shocked. This toll road that we put in, we built it. We then sold it for pennies on the dollar to another company who runs it. They've leased it for like 100 years or something like that. And and they can raise tolls to basically any rate they want. If you drive the 407 Expressway, Express Toll Route, if you drive it from where it starts in Burlington, Hamilton, all the way out to uh, Bowmanville, basically, it's almost an $80 trip. One way. $80 to take a highway. Now, in comparison, let's talk about New York State. Oh, man, I drive that I-90 so often. It's crazy. You can go from where it begins in Buffalo all the way out to the Massachusetts border for 20 Just under, actually. It's $19.30. That's a massive area. Massive area. And it's under 20 bucks. Here, you're traveling, what, 100 kilometers? For 80? Get the hell out of here. So what do we do about this? I, uh, I am one of those people that agrees the highway should never have been sold in the first place. I get that we had financial problems in the 90s for a lot of reasons. We needed money and we had a government that wanted to show fiscal restraint and they wanted balanced books. Great. Fine. Selling off that in particular, the way they did it with no checks and balances, no, no say for the taxpayers or the government in how high those tolls go, we didn't do it right. So now, instead of spending anywhere between 13 and $25 billion building the 413, which again does almost exactly the same thing as the 407, which is already built, why don't we just take that money, go to the people who now own the lease on the 407, and kick them out? You're done. You know what? Here's some money for your trouble. We're going to give you $15 billion. It's ours now. We're taking it back. If you don't like it, see you in court. End of story. And then make it free. It'll be years before the 413 is open. Probably even longer until the Bradford Bypass is open because they'll probably do the 413 first. And we don't need to do it. Why do we need two highways that go in the exact same direction to the exact same place? One of them's a toll and one of them's not. It doesn't make any sense. Get out of this 407 deal. Use those well-paid lawyers at Queens Park and find a way out of the deal. Will it cost money? Yes. In fact, we may end up spending more to get it back than we made selling it. And that would suck. It was just a bad investment, bad decision that was made 20, 30 years ago. So let's right the wrong. Every road in Ontario should be free. Taxpayers on one of the most heavily taxed jurisdictions on earth should not also have to pay user fees to use a goddamn highway. It doesn't make any sense and it's completely unfair. Get out of this deal with the current leaseholders of the 407, buy it back, make it free. It could happen tomorrow. Do you know quickly we could relieve gridlock in Toronto? We could end it tomorrow. Phone those people. Here's the offer. Sign here. As of tomorrow, the 407's free. Let's say Monday. Give them a couple of days to send the paperwork back and forth. We could end it instantly. 
Stop all those vehicles from idling as they try and get from point A to point B. Get them on the 407. Get them going for free and watch how many people use it. Right now, people aren't using this massive, luxurious highway because it's just too expensive. The only people using it are cops and people that have got a company transponder. Regular people can't afford to use the 407. And that's not right. We all paid to build the 407. Get out of the lease, pay whatever it costs, make it free, end the gridlock, and screw the 413. We don't need it. Focus on the Bradford Bypass. That should be the priority. You can agree or disagree with me on any of this. Shoot a text, one 915 show or slide into my DMs. Thanks for listening to this bonus edition of After 9. Again, there is a regular episode out today as well, so please go back and listen to that and have yourself a fantastic day.